0: And welcome to this week's episode of Best Camp of My Life, a podcast about MMA, kind of, but not really, but kind of. I'm your host, Fernanda Prates, unless this is a The Thing type of situation. In which case, I am still kind of your host, Fernanda Prates, in the sense that if I were to get fingerprinted or checked for my passport or even approached in casual conversation, I would still absolutely pass as Fernanda Prates, but I'm also not your host, Fernanda Prates, in the sense that I am now a dead shell being controlled by an alien organism, which... Sounds like a bummer, what with all the being killed and assimilated by nefarious extraterrestrial forces and all, but also kind of okay if you consider the amount of work that's going to save me. I mean, now it's up to Mr. or Miss or Mrs. or however they identify. I'm guessing aliens have progressed enough to have completely done away with the idea of gender at this point, but I guess it's up to the alien to come up with a show every week and to exercise and drink water and handle our skincare routine. I mean, who knows? This might be a total level-up type of situation. Maybe that means that I or my empty carcass, if you want to get technical, will now age more slowly. Maybe that means I can now speak French or play the piano or say no to people when they ask me to do stuff I don't want to do. Maybe that means I can now do yoga and don't just pretend to like jazz and have the patience to play chess and untangle Christmas lights and walk my older relatives through their struggles with technology. I mean, I personally feel like alien life suits me. In any case, that's of little concern to the rest of you. Whether I really am me or I am just a highly convincing imitation of me, what matters is that we are right here, right now, sharing this moment together. Who cares if it all ends up being just an elaborate ruse to get you to trust me so that you too can be eaten and assimilated by invasive organisms? What if I am a quote-unquote existential threat who wants nothing more than to quote-unquote end humankind and all forms of earthly life? What's important to remember is that nothing matters and we're all going to die anyway. Before we do that, though, we have an episode to get through. And there's really no point in me creating suspense over it, because if you're here, that means you probably follow me on Twitter. And if you follow me on Twitter, that means you know what today's episode is. And it is... Q&A time! Yay! Once more, I asked you to send me your MMA or non-MMA questions so I could answer them here. Some of you lovely people obliged, some of you didn't, but that's okay. I will only hold on to this resentment for, what, two, three years, and cry myself to sleep for, what, a couple of months, and maybe think slightly less of you for, what, forever? Truly, it's no big deal. Anyway, here's the episode. Enjoy it, or don't, just remember that when it comes to alien assimilation, we can do this the hard way or the harder way. First question this week comes from Evan. I'm just going to say the names. I'm not going to say the Twitter handles. You put way too many like numbers and letters in your Twitter handles, and I'm sorry. Um, Evan says, which current or past UFC fighter would be best suited to stepping in for Cameron Poe on Conair? And I am taking this first question as an opportunity to open this with sincerity, with honesty, with an admission that I have never seen Conair and therefore am ill-equipped to answer this question, but I have consulted with Mr. Pratches, and he says that from what he remembers from the movie, which he watched like 20 years ago, he'd say "team means And I will agree, despite the fact I've never watched the movie, because I think "team means is just strange enough of an individual to pull off a Nicolas Cage role. I will say this, though. I promise to watch Con Air and give my impressions at a later date. I feel like this nonsense of not watching Conair has gone on long enough. Second question this week comes from Mateus. What's the most underrated moment in the UFC this year so far? I had to think about this one because I have terrible memory, but I'm going to go with Yambla beating Israel Adesanya. Because if I'm being honest, that was kind of a big deal. And I feel like we just immediately forgot about it. Like when I think, for example, when I thought about this one, because it was like, kind of the first thing that came to mind. I had to look it up to see if it had actually happened this year. And it was actually like three months ago. And to an extent, I get it because the fight itself wasn't that exciting. And it didn't really cause like a major shift in anything because it was basically Israel Adesanya going up to fight for the 205 pound belt. And, you know, he didn't get it. So Jan kept his belt. Izzy kept his belt, just went back to middleweight, where he was champion, and kind of, like, everything went back to normal. But it is strange to me that we got over it so quickly. I mean, there is a huge size disparity uh, between the two, and I think we all could kind of clearly see that it played into it, but... This unlikely champion we had totally overlooked for his entire UFC career managed to beat this other champion that we have been collectively treating as this kind of genius for a while, and we just didn't really think that much about it. I don't know. Maybe I'm tripping. Maybe I'm misreading. Maybe it was a big deal or a bigger deal than I'm thinking, but uh, that's just how I see it. Next question comes from E. Spencer Kite who uh how's married life treating you just kidding that was a uh joke because i briefly mentioned that one thing i'm not looking forward to in returning to social affairs once i'm vaxxed is everybody asking me about married life because it's just like every other life i guess but Uh, The actual question was, given the remake slash reboot world we live in, what classic 80s, 90s movies uh, would totally rock with an update? Feel free to cast it if you would like. That is exactly the kind of question that I absolutely overthink. So you best believe I've been thinking about it since I first saw the question like two days ago. But I have a few thoughts. I'm just going to throw them out and then we'll go over it. Tango and Cash... True Lies, Breakfast Club, and St. Elmo's Fire. Uh, if we were to do Tango and Cash, which I really don't understand how it hasn't been remade or rebooted, I would obviously want to do it with women this time. And I'm just going to say Rose Byrne because I love her and I think she's an underrated comedic force. Nobody ever thinks of her when we talk about just like the great comedy actresses of our generation and that is a travesty and I am fixing this in this space Uh, and her buddy would be Mindy Kaling because I feel like she's got more like of a dry humor and she would be just an interesting counterpoint to burn as for true lies I actually looked it up and apparently there is a reboot in the works uh, by James Cameron But the last piece of news that I saw was from February, so I don't know where it stands. I don't know if who's starring in it, if they know who's starring in it. But um, James Cameron, if you're listening to this, which why wouldn't you be? Best Camp is amazing. I'm sure you have a lot of time to listen to MMA podcasts. Um, How about, and hear me out, okay? You all hear me out before getting mad at me. Bria Larson in the role of Schwarzenegger and Zendaya in the role of Jamie Lee Curtis. Just saying. Just saying. And I won't even dare to cast Breakfast Club and St. Elmo's Fire because that would have been, There would have to be like young people. And I just don't know what the youngsters are up to these days. I'm pretty sure my idea of who young people think are cool now is probably just cringe and some elderly millennial shit. So I'm just going to shut up. Um, And Leslie, I I have mentioned this before that one of my favorite action movies, uh, which doesn't really make sense with anything that has to do with me or my politics or just like the general way in which I view the world is Stallone's Cobra. And I do think it could be interesting uh, to remake that, but they would have to be like subvert the message a little bit because Cobretti is absolutely like an asshole. So they would have to either give him an entirely different personality, which I think might kind of defeat the purpose, or make him a full blown villain. And I don't know, just throwing that that thought out there. Because if they just keep it the way it is, we all know them well. That all the Reactionary, Punisher-loving chuds would latch onto him with a fierceness, and we could all see why that would be a problem. Next question comes from DJ Skipped Beats. Um, What is the scariest film you've ever seen? That's a tough one because I am a fan of scary films, but I am generally not scared of scary films. Which is interesting considering I am scared of everything from getting my teeth professionally cleaned to running into a neighbor at the elevator. But I digress. I guess one of the the movies that kind of scared me as a kid was Pet Cemetery 2. Like it just, I was like really young when I saw it and it just like really impressed me. And later in life, I was kind of haunted by the ring. Less so by Samara herself than by the scene of the horse jumping onto the sea, oddly enough. If I had to guess, I'd say that's because I'm generally scared of horses, and I think they're low-key assholes that only pretend to be our friends while they secretly plot the equine revolution. Uh, So maybe the proper answer to the question is that there is no film scarier than the literal contents of my brain. Troys of Summer asks, What is going to be the iconic or most memorable moment of the no-crowd pandemic MMA era? It's the sound of that guy weeping after Raymond Daniels flattened his balls twice, right? Uh, I actually went back and watched the video to remember how bad it was, and <laughs> that that might just be the answer. I feel that as a, a non-testicle person, I can't fully comprehend what a low shot means, uh, but that was probably the closest I ever got to being transported to someone's pain. It was really, yeah, you can look it up. It's like on YouTube, but it's just, it's, it is like painful, remotely painful. Um, I will take this to share an anecdote though, cause that's, that's how terrible those nut shots probably are. Um, once in an event in Brazil, I don't remember where it was. I remember who the fighter was, but I won't say to protect his privacy, but he got kicked in a ball in the balls during a fight. Um, he went on to win it, and he went backstage to do medicals and he had to do interviews and stuff like that. But he was just distraught, distraught, like completely. The the nut shot had really like done a number on him, and I remember he was like kept looking inside his trunks, and I was there. Uh, but he was like talking to his manager. Uh, he kept like looking in his trunks and saying shit like, oh my God, it's purple and things like that. And I'm like, how do I even proceed in this situation? And it, I remember I had to take him, I was doing PR at the time, I had to take him to like do interviews in the media room. And we ha- it was cold. And we had to go outside and we had to go to this like rocky area. And he was barefoot, not wearing a shirt. Like he didn't even know where he was at that point. And I remember we started going through the rocks and I was like, hey, do you want to like put on some shoes? Like these are probably a little painful on your feet. And he looked at me and said something like, honestly, I don't even care about these rocks right now. (laughs) I was like... This poor guy just got punched and elbowed and kneed and whatever else. Won a fight and he's out here in the cold stepping on stones and none of it is registering. The only thing he can think about is whatever was done to his balls. So I kind of got a a real good glimpse into the universe. Um, But back to the question at hand. Yes, that was a very uh, remarkable moment, but I will well, not remarkable, memorable. I feel like remarkable indicates something nicer than that was. But I will also throw in Kevin Holland's entire pandemic run, basically, because I feel like his verbal antics really were a perfect match for the circumstances. Of course, the fact that he fought a thousand times and won and his just general personality really contributed to it. But I feel like maybe he wouldn't have thrived as much or like, inserted himself in the conversation quite as much with the way he talks during fights if uh they had happened while we had crowds next question comes from wardsmith wench why does leon edwards hate money and success (laughs) i left at this uh because it created this whole twitter interaction um there was another uh, follower who of mine who was very upset by that remark and the whole thing started. And I know that uh, she and some other uh, of my, my fellow Twitter peoples uh, have this view of Leon Edwards. I'll say this. Um, I feel like we generally, we have been really talking about Leon Edwards as the like unluckiest guy in MMA. And in many ways, he is. Because a lot of shit happened with canceled fights during the pandemic. He got screwed over several times. Um, He happens to be in a very complicated division um, that, which like the circumstances kind of made it so that the fact that he put together an insane streak and really like in any other division or circumstances would have like credentialed him to fight for a title. Like in his case, the way everything has happened, uh, it hasn't really worked out that way so far for him. And I personally don't think it will work out yet because I I think that it's all trending toward Colby Covington having his rematch for the title with champion Kamaru Usman and uh, Leon Edwards might have to sit it out again. So I get that. But at the same time, um, I feel like he's made maybe questionable choices, like... Uh, when he was offered Wonder Boy, I feel like that would have been a good fight for him to take because Wonder Boy has a name. Uh, it was very much a contender fight. Um, and he it's a fighter that Leon Edwards could absolutely beat. When I mentioned that, um, my husband mentioned that, you know, yeah, but like the way to beat Steven Thompson is to fight boring. Um, so maybe, you know, it wasn't that clever of a choice for him. And I'm like, the way Leon Edwards beats people is always kind of boring. And I mean that not in a derogatory way, not in a bad way. Like, I'm not a fighter. I'm not up there doing all that shit. Like, I'm not the one who's losing half my paycheck if I lose. So I absolutely respect fighters for fighting their own way and doing the things that they feel are necessary to get the win. And Leon Edwards has absolutely been amazing at that. But, you know... um, He could, I guess, be doing some things to kind of raise his profile a little more. Um, For instance, now, figuring that how things are trending, he must be aware that maybe the Covington, uh, maybe those men fights not going to happen. I think, personally, he could use, um, he could, like, do with a little heat to try to make the, the Jorge Masvidal fight happen for him. I know Masvidal doesn't seem all that interested because why would he be? Leon Edwards is not a great matchup for him. But, you know, they had a little controversy. If you're fighting Jorge Masvidal, even though he's not a kid, you're going to be on a main card. Like, you're probably going to be on a pay-per-view. So I feel like that would be, like, just a smarter business move. Like, maybe he could be doing a little more to to get attention on himself. And at the same time, I'm kind of like, you know what? Some people are just not like that. Some people just don't really have that kind of personality. Some people just don't want to hype themselves up or do things that, you know, maybe he just really wants to be a champion and he really believes he has a possibility of making that happen now. I don't know. but um, So I don't know about him hating money and success. But yeah, it is unfortunate that, um, for instance, just now, right, he just beat Nate Diaz. Uh, very decisively. But at the end of the fight, Nidiaz had a bit of a moment and the narrative was all about (laughs) Nidiaz. And before that, when he fought Bilal Muhammad, an IPO candidate. So it was all about the IPO. So it's kind of like, there's always things happening around him that we end up talking about something else. And I don't know how much of that is like on him or the circumstances or everything else. I don't know. I try not to judge too much, um, how a fighter goes about their career because it's an individual thing, but I guess that very, um, that kind of sums it up. This very confusing rant on Leon Edwards. Zane Bando asks, What is the best live event you've ever covered? And if you were to pick one moment or aspect of the sport that is your favorite, why would it be and why? I had a tough time with this one because I got to cover a lot of events in Brazil, um, and uh. Everybody knows that, especially right after the UFC came back to Brazil, like the events with local stars like Anderson or Aldo or Vitor were all like really insane, like really good energy, really good atmosphere. But um I emotionally still am very much tied to USC 134, also known as USC Rio 1, which was my first event live. So that might have something to do with it. But I also got a chance to see. Anderson Silva, uh, Shogun, Big Nog, all live and all winning their fights, which is so freaking cool. Like it's something that I feel like historically is significant. Um, it was pretty rad. And I will also put USC 142 there because it had both uh, José Aldo winning in Rio, which to anyone who's witnessed it is pretty insane. And uh, Vitor Belfort walkout. Um, and say what you will about Vitor uh his walkouts are amazing. They're all this electric. Whenever like his song kicks in, everybody's just super into the moment. It's just very intense. USC 200 was also great because it was a very busy week. There were three events. Uh, I was in Vegas. Everybody was in Vegas. The whole thing just kind of felt significant. Uh, but then like we went through that Bullshit with Joan Jones' uh, doping violation and the fight with Cormier falling through, I think that kind of deflated the event itself a little bit. And I also had to watch it from the media room, which isn't nearly as much fun as watching it from the arena. So my view of that one ends up being a little different as well. Uh, As for the second part of the question, my favorite aspect of MMA is probably the fact that it's like a very raw human connection i know this sounds incredibly corny but everyone who's ever read a thing i wrote or listened to this podcast knows that i like corny shit honestly like i'm just fascinated by the dynamics of two human beings who train really hard to injure each other but also end up sharing this weird and like very profound bond i think there's just kind of like an underlying respect even with athletes who Personally, dislike each other like Joan Jones and Coymie that uh, we don't really get with other forms of human interaction. I feel like in sports in general, rivalries fascinate me. I do feel like rivalries are very important to end up being very important to elevate people, and I think people agree with that. I know I talked to Misha Tate about it, and she acknowledged that without Ronda, like Ronda was. Ronda Rousey obviously was such a big part of her career because, you know, that rivalry really propelled her. And uh, Cormier said something like that. We talked really quickly in a very messy scrum, so unfortunately I couldn't get like as deep as I wanted with him in that. But he did talk about like Joan Jones helping him become kind of like a better athlete, right? And I feel like we have that with every sport, but with MMA, the fact that they're not just competing against each other, but that their competition involves hurting each other like to me it just makes the whole thing like very intriguing and it's just one thing that i never really get tired of thinking about and writing about next question comes from my fellow co-worker at mma junkie brent brookhouse uh cast the role for the best mma movie must meet all necessary tropes and then uh the tropes are grizzle trainer hiding past glory first opponent, parenthesis, always gets the full fight scene, uh, the three guys in the making progress fight montage, and the ultimate rival slash end boss. So I will cast one by one. Grizzle Trainer Hiding Past Glory. Uh, that's Gegard Musasi, And I actually read that Musasi has some real estate investments, So uh, he could totally like in 15 years be ranting to an aspiring fighter who has no idea who he is. Then he gives the aspiring fighter a few tips and the fighter is reluctant at first because who the fuck is this old dude to tell me what to do? But then he tries them out and realizes they work. So he does some digging and finds out that this guy was once a champion in several organizations and they have like some deep conversations about it. Like it truly writes itself. First opponent, uh, Cowboy Cerrone. I feel like he's just a very quintessential MMA fighter. He has the tattoos. He has the look. He will make it clear that this is an MMA stage you're about to enter. And I ha- I'm i writing a story about bad MMA movies. So I've been fully immersed in this universe for the past two weeks. And I say that uh, from the deep knowledge uh that I've acquired. The three guys in the making progress fight montage. I actually wanted to cast real coaches in this, but coaches that I feel like have that vibe. So I picked uh coach Mike Brown, uh coach Dan Thomas cuz I feel like they both have like just sort of complementary energies and I wanted like a an experienced fighter who seems like just a cool dude. Um and very tough, and I went with Gilbert Melendez. I know it might sound random, but that's just just how my heart felt about it. And for the ultimate rival slash and boss, I'm going with Paulo Costa borrachinha because he looks absolutely freaking terrifying he likes to shit talk uh he can absolutely fuck you up but he can also be beaten uh realistically um and you can just like convincingly tell tales of how he once killed a man in an obscure tournament in the jungles of brazil like i feel like that's a pretty good pick Next, we go to Matthew, who asks, what's my favorite WC match ever? I didn't really catch a lot of the WC era, to be honest, because I started like really following MMA in 2009 and uh, they ended, I guess, in 2010. I didn't get to hang out with the WC a lot, but I'm going to just be the filthiest of casuals and say Ben Henderson versus Anthony Pettis, just because I don't think I will ever be fully over the showtime kick. Uh stinky Minky MMA asks, is Gunn ready for a title shot? Or do you think he should fight someone else? And that one kind of answered itself uh after yesterday's announcement that um Gunn is actually fighting for a title, an interim title, uh, against Derek, Derek Lewis. But I'll take this as an opportunity to discourse on the situation. Uh Speaking as to whether I feel like he's ready, I was very impressed by his performance on Saturday against Volkov. Uh, even though I was, I'm not going to lie, I was so bored by it. <laughs> I can't even like say with a straight face that I loved it because I was bored and I kept saying that like every two seconds. And Rodrigo was like mad at me because he was enjoying it. Uh, but I I did, I was impressed, but that's just me being an asshole and like having a very low you know, attention span. <laughs> I just think that it was very impressive because he uh, he has some features that not a lot of heavyweights, especially young heavyweights do. Um, he fought very intelligently. He fought very patiently. And because of that, he was able to keep this consistent pace for five rounds. It might not have been a lot of volume, but it was consistent volume against a guy who is huge. Um, and who is a very capable, very competent striker and who had volume of his own, who was also, you know, keeping up and didn't just, you know, hand him the fight. And I feel like Gunn has that kind of like, the fact that he was able to go five rounds, um, not really slowing down a lot, just being like smart about it, keeping that pace. It's to me, like, it's just a very, an in shape and patient, young, smart heavyweight. How can I not be excited about that? Uh, And after that, I was honestly interested in seeing him fight Stephen Miocic. So him fighting Derek Lewis is is not (laughs) weird. It makes sense. So I guess, you know, I, I did put him... If not, you know, I didn't think he was going to be next for a title shot because at that time on Saturday, <laughs> a long, long time ago, eighty-four years ago, on Saturday, um, he was. We kind of were expecting Nganu to fight Derek Lewis, and there was Joan Jones, like, and who the fuck knows what what was happening with that? But um, I would have answered maybe this a little bit differently, but I did. I was ready to place him among that, you know, elite of the division. But I guess I am with the majority here when I say that I don't really think that it's fair that this title fight is happening. Uh, not because necessarily of Gunn himself, but because it's just terrible timing. Um, We don't know the full story of what happened, but uh, it does seem from what Nganu's manager said that they were very shocked by the UFC doing this uh, interim title fight when they have like an actual uh, undisputed champion who got crowned just months ago. It's not like Nganu was sitting on this belt for years. He waited for this belt for a long time, and now they're just kind of like... Doing an interim title fight for a champion who apparently was ready to fight this year because from what I could follow from what his manager said, he could fight in September, just not in August. So it just feels really freaking strange. And yes, it doesn't doesn't really affect his status as undisputed champion, but it will probably mean he will have to wait, right? Because... If these guys fight now in August, who knows how long the interim champion is going to have to wait in order to come back and and unify the belts. So it's kind of like it will absolutely disrupt his timing. And Gano is a fighter who has complained in the past about inactivity. So uh, this is unfortunate for him. And also, I think that it's weird that they made it a main event because Amanda Nunes, who is uh, an undisputed double champion, is gonna be co-main event, an interim title fight between heavyweights. Just yeah, the whole thing is really weird, and that's not to mention what does that mean for Joan Jones, right? Like that's Nganu and Joan Jones was the fight we wanted, and then we went from you know Nganu and Lewis to now Lewis and Gun. like just really strange. I don't think anybody is happy. And the last thing I'll say about it, like good on Gun for taking it. Apparently he didn't really have damage from the fight, but that's, what, two months to prepare and at a stage where he's, I think, very much still developing as a fighter. So, you know, maybe that's robbing him well, not robbing him because he accepted the fight, but uh, maybe that's just preventing him from taking, you know, what could be necessary time to truly prepare for a title fight. So I just don't think there's anything that doesn't suck in this situation, except for the fact that Ariel Hawani <laughs> took the opportunity to sound off on UFC chief business officer, uh, officer Hunter Campbell and kind of blow the lid on how he loves threatening to strip champions. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, Next question comes from Brian. Is Kurt Russell an underrated action movie star? Whenever people have the discussion of who's the best action movie star, his name never gets brought up, but he has a lot of bangers from the 1980s to the 1990s. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, But if it's any consolation to Kurt Russell, this ended up being a very Kurt Russell-y episode. Because I had a The Thing-inspired intro. I picked uh, Tango and Cash as one of my desired reboots. And I will also let you, my listeners, in on a very specific, arguably excessive piece of information. My boobs are named Tango and Cash. So, I mean, yes, you could argue that Kurt Russell is underrated. But does he need more recognition than this? I'd argue that no, he doesn't. He has peaked. Daniel Hewitt asks... With all divisions in consideration, who is the next Brazilian UFC champion? Um, The clearest pick would be the one who has the title shot schedule, uh, which would be light heavyweight Glover Teixeira, who is fighting Amblahovic for the light heavyweight title. But um, let's exclude that. And I'm going to be very edgy and daring and throw out a name that might shock some people. Okay, but hear me out, Mackenzie Dern. I know, I know. It's hard to think of someone who isn't, say, a particularly proficient striker, as we've seen, handling Rosa Mayunas right now. But, honestly, Dern has shown a super consistent evolution. She's on a roll. Uh, Her most recent wins are against uh, Virna Jandiroba and Nina Nunes, and I just think that her grappling might just be absurdly good enough to get her there. I might be terribly wrong. <laughs> don't usually, when people ask me like serious, objective questions, I have terrible answers for them. So, this could be one of those cases. <laughs> Who knows? But I don't care. Let me live. Friendly sparring podcast, uh, probably. If not the biggest, one of the biggest fans of the show Mm -hmm. Uh, and just truly a darling, darling person. Um, If you were a manager, a darling person, is that like an old person thing to say? I feel like I'm aging like three years every day now. It's really sad. Every day I see a young person doing a young thing and I'm like... I'm a thousand, Uh, but I digress. Going back to the question, if you were a manager, who is one fighter you would want on your roster and what would you do to help their career? I will say I I know and actually really like this person's manager. So that's really no shade to him or his very fine work. I do really like him, but I will say Jessica Andrade simply because she's truly fucking awesome. I, if you read, uh, if you, I don't know if you read this, but like on FanBite, we do like tiny reviews of things I'm currently reviewing tough, but I did one review of Jessica Andrade the person. And honestly, she's like one of the very few unproblematic characters we still have in the UFC. Just the other day, she posted a shot of her taking the vaccine and saying vaccine. Yes. Um, I also happened to, to believe she's an anti if i don't know anti i'm guessing anti but like i happen to know she's not a bolsonaro supporter uh which again is amazing because bolsonaro fucking sucks uh but yeah i think that we would probably make a good team and she's married to a fernando so we all know she has good taste because she's married to a person with the uh best name in the world (laughs) what i would uh very obviously very logical um and reasonable uh, reasons for that. but uh, And what I would do? Uh, I think what I would do with basically, if I was a manager with basically any of my fighters, probably suggest a different career <laughs> for starters. Uh, because we all know how mistreated fighters are. And they do not have a fair shake in anything. Uh, but if they were truly determined to do this, I'd maybe incentivize them to actually read and understand all of their contracts, like just really make sure that they know what they're signing up for. Uh, because I would imagine if you're a fighter, it's very easy to get excited about your first like big offer, your first big proposal, and just not really think it through. Um, I would advocate for them and not myself or my relationships with the promotions, um, I would encourage them to speak English, but only if there was something that they were actually interested in doing. Cause I have kind of a pet peeve when Americans are like complaining that fighters from other places don't speak English as if learning a second language is like the easiest thing for people to do. Uh, We got that a lot with Aldo. And it's like, Aldo has been through hell in his life. He's like a very like, clear self-made man he built everything he has from absolute scratch and people are giving him shit because it doesn't speak english like learning a second language is really hard guys anybody who's done it kind of knows so it's kind of like i feel like that's an unfair burden to put on them but i would encourage it because i feel like there is a lot to be gained by having the ability to communicate directly with an audience, right? There's a lot that gets lost in translation because it's not just words. It's the way you say things. It's your personality. And um, yeah, I feel like being able to just have that direct line makes people connect with you a little better. And mostly as corny as it sounds, I guess I would encourage them to be themselves, to be truthful in interviews to speak their minds, to be less worried about fitting into some arbitrary idea of what a successful fighter is than to build their success in their own terms. Because if there's one thing I learned in the biz, is that people truly do respond to authenticity and originality. I, for one, am much more able to relate to a person Than I am to a, like, even if it's a flawed person, doesn't need to be a perfect person, doesn't need to be a particularly, you know, huge personality. Or if it's a person, if I feel like I'm actually talking to a human being, I'm much more likely to relate to that than to a character, to like a a constructed thing. And I generally believe that most people have something interesting to share with the world. So. I guess just encourage them to do that. Next question, Dr. Wonder Vex to the gills. Boy, that's that's an amazing, amazing Twitter name. Um, there's no less than like a million MMA events a week. How many hours a week do you spend researching fighters slash fights, watching MMA, writing, and or podcasting? When there is a lot going on, how do you prioritize? That's a really difficult sort of mathematical... <laughs> calculations to make because I'd say most of my work right now is very intangible. Uh, I don't spend nearly as much time actively writing about MMAs and being caught up in the news as I did when I was working for MMA Junkie, for example. But I do spend a lot of time reading about it, thinking about it, discussing it with my husband, who's obviously also a quote-unquote MMA person. Uh, with the podcast, for instance, it changes because the format of the show changes, but I usually spend my whole Monday uh, thinking about the interview I'm going to do on Tuesday, just jotting down like ideas, uh, doing research, listening to things that this person has done, like podcasts they've been on, um, things they have written. Like, and, and it's not that I sit down in front of the computer and just do that all day. It's kind of like a brainstorming thing with myself. I just clear out the day. I never, like, I rarely ever schedule things to do on Monday and things just to get myself into that mind space. And then on Tuesday, I wake up at like 6 or 7 a.m. to write the intro, to formalize the script and worry myself to death, basically, until I record at 1 p.m. Central. And then on Tuesdays, I now also watch Tough, so I can write my recap first thing on uh, on Wednesday morning. Cause I like to write when like my brain is fresh and then I take Wednesdays to kind of like rest my brain. And then Thursday and Friday mornings are when I usually get into whatever I'm writing for that week or the next. But if there's like PFL or Bellator, I usually catch at least the main cards. If there is Invicta, I try to watch some of that as well. And most UFC events I watch uh, top to bottom. If, uh, even if I rarely end up writing about any of the events themselves. Um, it's mostly like, I don't know, I, I feel like I have to be aware of what's happening, um, but even when I don't really necessarily have an assignment. Um, also like I'm obviously a pervert and this this week for instance like I said I'm working on an assignment about bad MMA movies which involved about 10 hours of actual watching of MMA bad movies of bad MMA movies and then taking notes coming up with a format erasing everything I write a thousand times etc and that's not to mention when I have other non-work stuff like last week for example I did Between the Links for MMA fighting Uh, this week I did an IG like a live for IG fight, um, there's also a surprise thing that I'm doing today um, that you know about soon enough, but usually, and that's not officially work, right? That's just like me me participating on MMA related things. But even though the shows themselves rarely go for more than like 90 minutes, I am an obsessive person. I absolutely must overstudy and overprepare for literally everything I do. So you can at like, three hours of reading, podcast, listening, whatever else in preparation for that stuff. So yeah, I can't really put a number to it, but I can safely say that MMA controls the vast majority of my life (laughs) Uh, as for priorities, honestly, because I no longer need to be on top of events. I go by what interests me the most on a personal level, because that's what's going to inspire me. When I decide to do some dumb shit, like pick the MMA fighters that I would like on my side during the apocalypse. <laughs> That's basically how I, I operate now. Honestly, if I was more productive, I think I would spend a lot less time doing this stuff. But I'm just very scattered and insecure. And that makes the process a whole lot tougher than it needs to be. Wick Doofus. If we made a 165-pound division, who's the inaugural UFC champion? My gut pick is RDA, simply because I have like held him in my mind as kind of the perfect pick for a hypothetical 165-pound uh, division for the longest time. Um, but Kevin Lee, I think, would be a contender. Or even Gilbert Durinho, like... I feel like doing really like adjusted to Walter Weight. Obviously, he got all the way to a title shot um, and he had a really abrupt cut to lightweight, but he's like kind of on the shorter end. So maybe 165 would be really good for him. Uh, maybe Michael Chiesa, although he seems pretty adjusted to 170. So I don't know if he would be interested now at this point of his career in cutting those extra pounds. Um, I don't know. I honestly just think that 165 would be pretty stacked. I will forever. And ever be an advocate for it. And now we're going to a question that actually got on Instagram from Justin. What is your favorite way to annoy Rod? (laughs) My husband. Uh, He's very hard to annoy. I don't know. Like, he's he's very chill. It's insane. He just uh, perked up and is staring at me. He's very hard to annoy. Like, I have a lot of very... Terrible habits. Like, I sing aloud to everything. Like, we're in the car, I have to sing along with every single song that appears. Uh, Sometimes, when we're watching a movie, I'll just like break out into song and chase him around the house singing it, which would truly like drive a lesser person crazy. (laughs) He's okay with it. And I'm like the messiest person you'll ever know in your life. It's insane. It's not. It's not cute. I'm not proud of it, but I am. It's it's terrible, and uh, he seems okay with it. I would say when I pick on his eating habits, that would probably be it. Like, when I pick on the amount of bread he eats on a daily basis, would you say that's true, babe? He's nodding uh, in agreement. <laughs> so that is it. Uh, yes, my favorite way is uh, remarking on his uh, food choices. Justin also asked, which Mortal Kombat do you think had the hotter guys? I actually love it when people ask me about hot guys, because hot people is legitimately one of my main areas of expertise. And I don't think I get asked about them enough. Um, Now, you know, ask me about hot people, please. I would love to answer. Not fighters, though, because that's inappropriate. I would never comment on a fighter's uh, physical appearance. But... This is a tough one because the newest uh, Mortal Kombat had Cole, who is boring as shit, but objectively delicious. Uh, Jax is also really hot. Uh, Hanzo is an older gentleman, but there's nothing wrong with that. Still pretty hot. Uh, Kano is a piece of shit. You <laughs> fucking sucks. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I haven't done a lot worse than him. Uh, on the other hand, the newest uh, Shang Tsung was just meh. While we all know how horny I am for the 1995 Shang Tsung, and if you don't know, listen to our uh, Mortal Kombat recap episodes, which I, I don't know, I think they're fun. I may be a little biased, but yeah, so I am obsessed with him. I think he's like the hottest character in the Mortal Kombat universe, so it really is a difficult question. I guess the newer Mortal Kombat wins on quantity of hot guys but the hottest of them all objectively is in the first movie with shang so i don't know really a quantity versus uh quality type thing i guess the last question it is a very weird one i didn't really know how to answer uh Zard for life uh the first part is Will serial gun take everything Joan Jones is working for? And that aged interestingly because that that was before the gunfight with Derek Lewis was announced. And, um, yeah, now we know that, I guess, (laughs) apparently... I don't know who knows what the fuck is happening with Joan Jones at this point point? and then uh, they follow up with respectfully what epic fight from action to outcome would you like in the long run to compare your marriage to for example the back and forth heartful battle of Figueiredo versus Moreno one elaborate on the intricacies please I wasn't even gonna answer it because like it's so weird and I have no idea how to compare like a marriage to, like a fight I don't know if that's the healthiest thing to be doing at this point but it's just such a weird question that I felt like I couldn't really pass up on it. I asked Rodrigo, I cheated. Uh I asked, and, and he said that maybe that's not what he aspires to, but that could be the case that some people would see it as uh Joan Jones and, and Gustafsson because they um it was a fight that not a lot of people were necessarily uh excited about or intrigued by it. like that maybe some people underestimated a bit, but it ended up being a fucking classic. So <laughs> maybe that's it. I, I had to steal it from him. I legitimately do not know. I was gonna say something stupid like oh Connor and and Aldo because it was done in 13 seconds. But I made that joke to him and he made a very ugly face. So <laughs> I opted against it and I guess that is it that's all the time we have to today uh, I would like to thank all of you who took the time to send questions I truly appreciate it uh, to those of you who did not send questions it's okay to just know that you are now an active contributor to all my several insecurities and self esteem issues and I just like you a little less now again no biggie uh, thank you all at home for listening thank you to our producer and editor Jordan for being the cool Thank you, Noam Chomsky, for being red as hell. This has been the best camp of my life. I will see you all next week.